Today, I actually wrestled with this message for like um, a week and a half because I was struggling. I, I prepped another one. I actually prepped a couple of them, and I had uh, some words that were given to me by a, a couple of people that were random out of the blue. And uh, when, when the words came, it kind of messed up my whole thought process of everything. And so uh, today, and I actually changed the, the name and title. I've done all that. I've just been wrestling with it. But I'm so excited to be able to preach this this morning because it's been one of those things where I feel like uh, probably two years ago I tapped into this just a little bit and I'm able to kind of come in and go into a little bit deeper. Um, and so I'm really excited about today's message. Uh, if, if I was going to title it, and I, I did kind of, it's going to be Violent Hope. Violent Hope. So uh, this morning I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke 1. Uh, we're actually, I'm going to use two passages and that's it. Luke 1. Verse 39 through 45, and then uh, flip over to Matthew 11. You're going to want to hold that spot because we're going to go right there immediately after I read through Luke 1, uh, 39 through 45. If you don't have your Bibles, it's going to come up on the screen. Um, so we got that going for you too. So Luke 1, 39 through 45, it says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried, hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Bless are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. I want you to turn over to Matthew 11, 11 through 12. And it says, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born among women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the what? And the violent take it by force. And the violent take it by force. Until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent, and the violent take it by force. I believe that the Lord is going to restore and do something inside of our lives today. He's going to restore violent hope. It's going to make sense a little bit more later on in the message, but violent hope to us today. There are moments in your life when what's in your spirit doesn't match your circumstances. There are moments in your life when what's in your spirit doesn't match your circumstances, what you see, what you hear, what God has placed inside of you, the dreams that God has, has given you, the, the vision, the, the desires that he's given you, doesn't match what you see on the outside. You know, as you get close to Jesus, as you pursue Jesus, he begins to speak to you. And he begins to speak. And when he speaks, it's not in an ordinary way. He speaks in big dreams. He speaks in uh, of big things, of, of, of desires, of goals that he has for you, promises he has for you. He doesn't speak in an ordinary way. And what do you do when everything God has said doesn't match anything around you? Am I the only one that's been there before? When everything that God has put on the inside of me, all the dreams, all the plans, all the desires that I have, God, I've I felt like you've said this to me. I felt like you've spoken this to me. And what I see on the outside doesn't match what you put to, in my spirit. Sometimes it feels like in those moments that all hope is gone. You have a, maybe a promise of you're going to have an education, but your family's broke. 
Or maybe you have this promise of you're going to walk in healing, but you're battling sickness. You have this promise that you're going to, you know, like build these businesses and, and all these dreams that you have about establishing a business, but you run into roadblocks during those times. It's crazy to think, but he gives you these big dreams. He gives you these, these big uh, goals, but nothing around you looks like the promise that you've been given. And so this morning, there are seasons in your life where you have to be violent enough. I want you to hear me. The kingdom of God suffers violent, and the violent take it by what? Force. There are seasons in your life where you have to be violent enough to say, I'm going to have what he says I can have and what he said I can have. And I'm not going to allow my circumstances or my situation to dictate the promises that God has given me. We may never understand the why. We may never understand why this is happening, why we're going through this, why we're experiencing this loss, why we're experiencing this issue in our lives. The only way to overcome any unexpected shock is through. I want you to hear me this morning. It's, we, may not, we may never understand the why, but the only way to overcome this moment in your life is through. And so when you think about that, that means this, you can't walk around it. You can't hop over it. You can't go under it. You can't hide from it. You can't do any of those things because there are times when God wants to take you by the hand and walk you through this process. Because I know this, before there's a promised land, there's always a deliverance. There are some times where God wants to get something out of you. He wants to get something, he wants to pull something out of you in order to get you to the place that he has for you. So that when you get there, you can stand there with your head held high and you can walk in integrity. You can walk in a fresh anointing because you've already been through the deliverance part. But there are moments in your life when your situation, your circumstances don't match what God has placed in your spirit. And that brings us to this text in Luke 1. In Luke 1. Elizabeth had been barren. She's 88 years old, and she's been promised that she's going to have a child, and she, get, she becomes pregnant. And inside of her womb is John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And she's, at this moment, in this passage of Scripture, she's not out running around. She's in her house. She's locked up in her house. And you think about this. When, you know, we got three kids now. And my life, you know, three kids feels like, I don't know, I don't know how those folks do it with like 15, 20, however many, I don't know, because three kids to me, I'm, yeah, I need Jesus, <laughs> right? It's just like, my house is chaos all the time, like, I'll go through and, and Kimmy, like, bless her heart, she'll mop something and it's all destroyed, like, two seconds. Like, they run through, I'm like, what, what are you doing? But they're, when they were born, you, all right, the girls, when... When they were born, I had so much excitement because we decorated the room and like we went in and painted and, and got everything ready because we were expecting the babies to come. And we were so excited and went in and, and decorated Ren's room and Ever's room and just, but when little man came, all right, so I, I put a lot of passion into the girl's room, no doubt, but I took over the boy's room. You know what I'm saying? I, I took over. And so I, I went in gray, and then I got all this Alabama stuff. I mean, I got fat heads. I mean, my son has no choice but to be a Bama fan. His, you know, 
like, he's got these, and then he's got John Wayne in there too. Isn't that crazy? Like, he's got, got a little bit of that going on. But, you know, he's got Alabama everywhere. But when, the baby, when we were expecting, there was this excitement. There was this expectancy. And in this moment, in this passage of Scripture that we just read, it's like, Elizabeth, there's something that ha- is, is it right here. Because she's not running around. She's not letting everybody know what's going on. She's stuck in her house. She's sitting there. And what, what's crazy is that when you research this passage, you understand that theologians believe that the reason why she's actually in her house at this moment, the reason why she's locked up in her house is because she believes that she's had a miscarriage. She believes that the baby on the inside of her is dead. And I want you to hear me this morning. Some of us shut down. I want you to hear this. Close ourselves off from anything God has to offer us in a service or in a moment because we feel like the promise he gave us is dead. Have you ever been in that situation where you shut yourself down, you close yourself off because you feel like the promise, the dream that God gave you over here isn't happening right now and you feel like it's dead and it's over? Automatically, because the outside looks bad, the inside must be dead. Sometimes a promise can take longer than we think it should. Sometimes the promise can take longer than we think it should. Sometimes it can cost you more than you think it should. There's people in this room with dreams. Maybe your dream is to build a huge house and, and have it start a family and all these different, maybe to write a book at some point. Maybe uh, you, you want to establish another business or an invention or you want to make some type of difference. But here's the challenge for you. Just because it looks bad out there doesn't mean it's not okay in here. Just because it's not happening The way you think it should doesn't mean that things are messed up. Doesn't mean that God is not working because he that began a good work in you is faithful and just. He will complete it. He will see it through. Here's what, here's the good news this morning. Whatever God starts, he sustains. Whatever he starts, he sustains. If God ever talks to you about what's going on on the inside, if he ever speaks to you about what's on the inside of you, if he ever gives you a dream, if God bursts it, then guess what? The dream is going to become a reality because there is no no need that God cannot meet. There is no mountain that God cannot move. There is no prayer God cannot answer. No sickness that God cannot heal. No heart that God cannot mend. You need to hear me. No door that God cannot open. Let's give our God praise because here's here's what I love about our God. He doesn't just make a promise. He fulfills the promise. He keeps the promise. And we give him praise for that. And you think about this passage of scripture, Elizabeth, she's in her house. Because there's this possibility that she feels like she's miscarried this baby. And sometimes if we aren't careful, when frustration in our life sets in, we will run from the things we were meant to run to. We will run. Let me go here for a second. When you, I've, I was a youth pastor for a long time, been dealing with church people for 18, 17, 16, 20. I have no idea how long now. My whole life. And I've seen it over and over. When we make a mistake or we have an issue, the first thing we do instead of running to God 
is we run from God. We run from the church. It doesn't make sense to me. God has set it up as a, as a place for us to come together. And, and we're, we're stronger and we're better together. But it doesn't make sense that when, as soon as we mess up, instead of running to God, running to him and crying out to him, it's like we'll run away from him in those moments when we mess up or we stumble. It's like we run, we run from accountability. Like God has stopped working because I have a problem. Like, like he stopped becoming God because I have an issue because my situation stinks on the outside. It's like, we think that he he just stopped and we run instead of waiting on him instead of holding on, you know, about two or so years ago, I decided to, to try to lose some weight. All right. And so I lost like 20 something, 20, 30 pounds, something like that. Pastor Emilio, I give him credit. He kills me in the gym all the time. So I was able to lose some weight. I know you can't tell right now, but I was able to, I, I lost some weight. But before that, y- y'all heard my feelings laugh. But before that, before that, I was in covenant with, with the drive through You know what I'm saying? I was in covenant. All right. I, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I was in covenant. I'd go to McDonald's, I'd go wherever. And, and if they skimped out on my fries... Or they did anything like that, I'm going to go nuts. You know what I'm saying? I'm just going to go crazy. You know, if they give me that box of fries, that supersize, whatever, every fry, it better be running over. It better be running over. It better be. But I was, in, I was in covenant. I was going there all the time. And one thing I know about drive through is when you pull up, all right, you place your order, and you go to that window, and you pay, and then you go to that next window. You got like three stops in the drive through And then when you go to the next window, you just, you wait, Right? You wait for your food to arrive, to come. The challenge for us is that you'll wait until you get what you came for. And when things are spiritually bad around you or things, situation looks really hopeless around you, if you're not careful, we will run instead of waiting. You hear me? Because in our generation, we like it quick. You think about it, instant access to Netflix, instant access to whatever, whatever we have now. We can download this. We can do this instantly. And so one of the, the, the primary things that I think the enemy is going to use in these last days is to get the church to a place where they don't know how to wait on the Lord any longer. Sometimes you have to wait until he speaks and you don't move until he says something. You don't run from the situation. You sit and you wait and do the last thing they told you to do. And there's two things, two keys to your promise, to seeing your promise becoming a reality. You're going to love these. And that's sarcasm because you're not. If you're like me, you're not going to like this. Two keys. Give it time. Give it time. It should come up there, but if it doesn't, that's fine. Give it time. And then the next thing is this. Pay the price. There is no coupon for anointing. There is no coupon for revival. There is no coupon for breakthrough. There is no, there is no, it doesn't ever go on sale. I want you to hear me. We have to have the tenacity and perseverance to sit and wait until God moves. I'm not moving until God moves. There have been times in my life where I've had to stand there and say, I am not moving. You can't bend me. You can't break me. I am not leaving this place until God shows up. I'm not leaving until he does something. That should be our response when a trouble, a problem, a situation, a crisis comes again. Us. It should be not to shut down or not to quit, but rather to stand up and say, I'm staying. You can't push me away from my promise. You can't keep me from my promise. I know this, that if it's not God's time, you can't force it. But when it is God's time, 
you can't stop it. So I'm not going to force it. But I'm also, when, when it's time, I know I can't stop, can't be stopped. So she shows up. Here, we, we find this passage of scripture. She's locked up in this house, not running around because of the situation that she's dealing with. And it's amazing to me after I looked at this and I, and I read through this passage of scripture, it just came alive to me. It's amazing to me that in this moment, he sends Mary. He sends Mary. And I was thinking, because it says that Mary, if you look back at it, it says, and at that time, Mary got ready and what? Hurried. Hurried to the place that she was at. And I was, I was sitting there thinking, like, in this moment, God still, he sent Mary. And this is the reason. is because God is so invested in your promise. He's so invested in your dream. He's so invested in what he's given you that even in your darkest hour, your darkest moment, when you're shut up in a house or when you decided to quit, he will send somebody so full of Jesus to you in that moment to help you walk through the process. Mary became that person for Elizabeth. Isn't it amazing that even when we quit on ourselves, he never quits on us. He will send somebody full of Jesus to you. He will send somebody that's on fire for Jesus to you. There's too many of us in this room that got friends like Job hanging around us. They're telling us all this stuff. Who you surround yourself with is very crucial. What they say to you, what they speak over you, what they speak over your family, what they speak over your husband, what they speak over your wife. It's so crucial. It's so vital. We have to watch who we're listening to, who's coming into our lives at that moment. You need to get around people that are full of Jesus. You need to get around people that are speaking life into you. I've learned this in my life. If I get around people that are full of Jesus, that God begins to hear my cry. There's something about where two people come together or two or more come together, that Jesus shows up in such a powerful way. Where are the people? I want to challenge you this morning. Where are the people that are full of Jesus in this house? Where are the people? I want to leave something for the generations to come. And I don't want them to see people that were just going through the motions, that were just going through the routine. I want them to see people that were full of Jesus, that were passionate for Jesus, that were living for him. I want my kids to see signs and wonders. I want my kids to experience and encounter God in a powerful way. Where are the people that are full of Jesus? I feel like so many churches nowadays, I want you to hear me, and this is not to slam anybody, but there's so many churches nowadays that are like half full, a quarter full. Where are the people that are full of Jesus, that live their lives like, every, like this nation depends on it, that, that this culture depends on it? They live their life like that. I want people in my life that surround me like D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody said this. He said, he said, I need to be filled with the spirit continual. Because I leak. You see, if you're walking in the true Christian life, you're going to be pouring out everywhere you go. And so there needs to be a continual fill. I love that, that, love that statement by D.L. Moody. And that's the type of people I want to surround myself with. I want to surround myself with people that are pouring out so much that they have to be full. They're going after God in such a powerful way. Where are the people? They're full of Jesus because I believe that God is going to use us because we are so full of him that the people out there won't recognize us. They recognize him. They see him through us. Such a powerful thing. Mary knocks on the door. She knocks on the door. And I love that because Jesus will do whatever he has to do to get to you. 
I love that. He, he will find a way to get in. He will find a way when there is no way. It, I, I love that. That's how much he loves you and cares about you. And then Mary speaks. She didn't have like this choir. She didn't have anything. She didn't perform this great. She didn't have anything. She just, she spoke. She didn't perform. And she let the word be the word in that moment. And then something jumps on the inside of Elizabeth. Something comes alive. And that's what you want in a service or a relationship. You want, you want to be around somebody, somebody that makes that dream, that promise that's on the inside of you come alive. You see, when Mary came up, she knocked on the door, and, and as soon as she walked in, the baby leaped for joy. The baby leaped on the inside of her. We need to be around people that make our babies leap. We need to be around people that make our promises come alive, our dreams come alive. When was the last time you felt that dream stirring on the inside of you? We need to be around people that make our dreams come alive. I'm tired of stillborn relationships that are just abortionists in disguise, that are destroying our dreams, killing our dreams, killing our promises killing everything on the inside of us. We need to get around people again that make our baby leap, that makes our dreams come alive, that makes our promises come alive. It's not about how cute they are, how well they talk. It's not anything like that. You get around them and then everything starts jumping. You know what I'm saying? There are people like that in my life. I have people like that in my life that when I walk in the room, I can't outdream Pastor Sawyer. I try all the time. It's like there's something, like, I'll come in, and I think I have this great dream, this big dream, and he has something even bigger. It drives me nuts. But you know what happens? It stirs something inside of me. You get around people like that that causes it to stir. Because the thing I've learned in my life is we don't have time to waste. We have believed the greatest lie that the, that, that's thrown out by the devil. I'm going to be honest with you. That's been thrown out by the enemy. We think we have time. Time is really against us. God never gave you time. He never just gives you. He, I, I want you to hear this. Time is a tool. We should be using this to the best of our ability in this moment. You don't have time to waste with a relationship that doesn't make that dream come alive any longer. Some of you guys, I'm going to go there for a second. Some of you guys have been dating him or you've been dating her. And you've been making all kinds of excuses. And like, oh man, they, they're kind of, they kind of do this and they, they, he goes to church sometimes. And it's like, oh, well, we're, we're you know, he, he just makes me feel good. And she's like awesome and, and, and all these different things, making excuses. The question I have for you is that when you're around that person, does that dream, that promise that God put inside of your spirit, does it come alive or not? And if it doesn't, you need to stop wasting your time with that situation. You need to stop wasting your time with that relationship. Because I don't have time to waste on people that aren't stirring the dream up inside of me. You judge a relationship like this. How did my dream react when I came in contact with them? If it was leaping, then I'm good. The baby leaps. And the Bible says at that moment that she's filled with the Spirit, that Elizabeth's filled with the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, John the Baptist, he has an encounter with God. He has an encounter. And here's what I know about John the Baptist. We know this. He was born, he was different. He was unique. He was a different type of person. At that moment, he was marked. He was marked. He was transformed. And I know this, that the presence of God will change you. And it will, it will cause you to walk away different than the way that you came. If you truly encounter the presence of God, 
There's going to be something that shifts on the inside of you. You're not going to be the same old person. You're not going to go through the same old routines because you've had a touch of his presence. You've sensed him. You've had an encounter with him. And John the Baptist was unique. He, was, he did things different, but he had been touched by God. He had been marked by God. He had had an encounter. I remember one of the first times that I had a powerful encounter of God was we, we took some youth trip and, uh, you know, my youth pastor at the time was just crazy and said, hey, you're going to Florida with us. And I was like, all right, sure. And I talked to my parents and obviously I said yes before I talked to my parents. That's what we do or what we did, you know, but I, I went on this trip and we got down to this church at Brownsville Assembly of God in Pensacola. And we were on Thursday night and we're out and we're in the line for church at 6 a.m. People were waiting in line to get into this building, and I had no clue what was going on. You know, I was like 12, 13 maybe, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, what in the world is going on? People are waiting in line to get into this church? What are they doing? It's just, you know, unique, and then people are praying and all that stuff, so we wait from 6 a.m., to 7 p.m. that night, they open up the doors and it's a free-for-all. Thousands of people are coming in. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, I, I really don't know what to do. I'm just, I'm just shocked. And we go through worship, and I felt the Spirit of God, there's no doubt. And then there was this moment, uh, Steve Hill began to preach. And about two statements into his sermon, I was ready to run to the altar. I had all kinds of, I didn't realize, I was a pretty good kid. I didn't make a whole lot of bad decisions, but... I, <laughs> I had so much stuff in my life. I wasn't passionate for God. There was so much going on. And I remember that night, I ran to the altar. I ran down to the altar, and I asked God. At that moment, I surrendered my, to the call. I was scared to death of speaking. I was scared to death of doing all this stuff. But I was like, God, I'll, I'll do whatever you call me to do. And I got, there were so many people that prayed for me that night. I have no idea. I can't really remember. But I, I was out in this, I out and they had to, all the guys had to carry me out of the out of the church and then we we went to a hotel and I like I they went and ate and all that stuff and I was just stuck there and 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 I remember coming to and something had changed in my heart something had changed inside my heart and what happened was at that moment I wanted to go and I wanted to make a difference in my school I wanted to go there was it was it was different it was different. It was, it was, I was changed from that point where I'd been passive and just kind of walking through the motions. There was something that I wanted to see my, my family saved. I wanted to see my, really, I wanted to see my entire nation, but I had this goal to see my entire school come to Jesus. And I know this is that when you experience the true presence of God, you're not going to walk out the same way you came. The habits, the addictions and those type things, you may have to wrestle with them, but they're going to be broken in the presence of God. Why? Because he sets us free and he wants to set us up for victory in those moments. It's crazy. See, John is marked from the beginning and he's changed because you're marked. And because you're marked in this life, you run the risk of being different. You run the risk of being different, but you won't make a difference until you allow yourself to become different. If you want what normal people have, then do what normal people do. But we're not called to be normal, church. There's nothing about Christianity that's supposed to be normal. It should be a life of passion. It should be a life of, of, of pursuing the Holy Spirit, the anointing, those type things. There's nothing about the church that's normal. There's not, I, I, I said this first service, but... You know, what's crazy is, is that people have a hard time with the teachings of like the Holy Spirit and all these different things like this. And I'm sitting here like the entire Christian faith 
is unique. You know, we believe that he was born from a virgin, all right? And we have an easier time teaching that than the Holy Spirit's real today. Come on, guys. All right, come on. And then you start going through the list of all the things we believe. You know, you think about Noah built his ark and say, come on. All right, the whole book is filled with unique things. And here's the thing, guys. We need to embrace what God has put on us. We are marked. We're not supposed to be like everybody else. We're not supposed to look like everybody else. We don't have to be weird for weird sake, but we can walk with passion and anointing and see God affect our nation and our culture in a powerful way. If you ever get marked by his presence, you will never be able to fit in anywhere else. The only place you can find hope is in his presence. The only place that you can find joy and peace is in his presence. I know this in my life is that when I'm going through chaos, if I try to do things on my own, anybody else, I'm hard-headed at times, and I try to do things on my own, I'm a miserable person. I'm the worst person in the world to live with because I have been marked. I'm not, I'm not supposed to handle things the same way that everybody else does. The way I'm supposed to handle them is by getting on my face before God and crying out to God and saying, God, you're the only person I need. You're the only thing I need. I don't need anything else. I've been marked. I'm supposed to be different. I got, you're the only place that I find peace and joy. We depend too much on people to bring us what God wants to give us. We depend too much. John is changed by one encounter with Jesus. And for, at that moment, he's forever different. And he embraces his difference. He embraced, we need to embrace what God puts on us, being great at being you. God will not bless what you pretend to be. Then you think about this. John explodes on the scene. There's thousands of people coming into his ministry. He's baptizing. He's doing all these things. And they went to, at this moment, they went to give him a title. They said, this guy is a prophet. And they're like, nah, you really can't say it. He's like a prophet. They say, no, nah, no, nah, John, this guy is like a, this guy's a priest. Say, no, he's like a priest. Here's the crazy thing about this passage. He's the only person in scripture that got the title, the voice. Do you hear me? He's the only person in scripture that got the title, the voice. You see, that's what we're after in our Christian walk. Not to be seen, but to be heard. Everyone wants to be seen, but the call is to be heard. I am the voice. God is wanting to use you in a powerful way. He's wanting to use your voice. Why did they call him the voice? Because in John 1, I want you to hear this. In John 1, Jesus is called the word. Our anthem shouldn't be to look at me or see me. It should be that I'm going to keep talking, being the voice until everything that comes out of me is him, the word. When the voice and the word line up, nothing can stop it. Nothing can hold it back. Mountains have to bow down. When you begin to speak and everything that comes out of you is him, there's something that happens. Cancer dies in that moment. Why? Because the word is speaking through you. There's something that happens when the voice and the word come together. You see, Jesus didn't promise power with being seen. He did say there was power in what you speak. He said, if you, if you say this to go over there, you can do this, you can do this. You'll do even greater things because I've gone to the Father. There's something that he said over us. He, he said, begin to speak out. Begin to speak it out because you're the voice. I'm going to be the voice that ushers in the word. All I got to do is open up my mouth and atmospheres change. I want you to hear me. Some of you guys are having a tough time at your job, at your house. 
when you begin to speak blessings over that place, when you begin to speak hope over that place, guess what happens? The atmosphere changes. We need to stop being the thermometer and be the thermostats. We set the control. We control the temperature. We control it. And so the challenge for us is to be the voice because you know what? Dead things come alive when you begin to speak. Healing takes place when you begin to speak. Breakthrough. Poverty is broken when you begin to speak. Demons tremble when I speak. That's what God did in Genesis. He spoke. He didn't have to be seen. He just opened his mouth. He just opened his mouth. And the power of his words made the world that we live in. He drew out a man. He drew out a woman. And what did he do? He spoke. He breathed life into them at that moment. The powers of his words made you as a person. They are just as powerful today. Every word that he speaks is just as powerful today. That's why worship and, and prayer are so important. Because your voice is releasing the word. So important. So crucial. You think about this, the encounter number one that he had in the womb comes to a close. And they, John then grows up, him and Jesus grow up together. And I see them just like hanging out, just kind of walking together at times, hanging out, talking about stuff. But you think about this, John has this awesome ministry and encounter two happens when Jesus comes down to be baptized. When Jesus comes down to be baptized by John, before he gets in the water, John points, John points through the crowd and he says this, you guys all know it. Behold the lamb of God who what? Who takes away the sins of the world. When John pointed, the heavens opened up. The challenge for all of us and the thing I'm going to ask you this morning is what do you point out in people? Because you're the voice. Listen to me. If you're the voice and he is the word, guess what? What you say matters. What you speak matters. I know your maturity level in God by what you point out in other people. John didn't tear him down. John didn't say anything negative about him. I know exactly where you're at in Christ by what you point out in other people. If you point out everybody's faults, you're probably not ready for ministry. Sorry. Easy. You're probably not ready. What they didn't do, what's wrong with them? Your attitude needs to be different. I tell my little girls every now and then, hey, sometimes you just need to be, hey, you need to go over there until your attitude changes. Sometimes what God does to us, he says, go over there, sit down, be quiet, listen and learn. And when your attitude changes, guess what? You get up and get ready to move out and do what I've called you to do at that moment. Maybe the delay is found in what you're saying. Maybe the delay that you're experiencing in your life is found in what you're saying. What do you point out in people? I've learned in my life to start pointing out the best in people. There are people in my life that I didn't know that would be with me, that would love me and all that stuff. And that I wouldn't have chosen them, but they're the one. It's crazy. It's crazy to think. But what do you point out in those people? What do you point out in the people that are around you? How do you point them out? The Bible says that they have a time of ministry together. And all of a sudden, Jesus gets this word that John is about to die. This is Matthew 11, that John is about to die. You didn't think we were going to get back to Matthew 11. You've never understood pain, but you didn't hear me, until you've encountered loss. These are not men who don't know each other. They've hung out together. They've done life together. And we know that real relationship, it actually takes time. Jesus in Matthew 11 begins to talk about John. 
And in this passage, he talks about suffering. It's after that moment, we realize, and I realize, that John was nothing but a support system for Jesus. He was a forerunner for Jesus, for things to come. And I realize this in my life. Some folks aren't supposed to be in your life forever. Some people are there only until you can stand by yourself. And the challenge for all of us, I want you to hear this this morning. If you're going to be used great by God, there will be seasons in your life when you experience great loss. Oh, Pastor Joy, I want you to go ahead and play. I'm not done yet. But Pastor Joy, if if you hear me, come on and play. There are going to be seasons in your life when you experience great loss. I'm not talking about something I don't know or I haven't experienced. I've come to realize that a lot of times the only reason why it left me is because God wanted to release me. There's sometimes in my life I, I've, I've just realized that when I experience some of those things, uh, hurt, circumstances that don't make sense in my life, sometimes it's good just to let it go because it releases me. It, take, it, it sends me to a different place. And then what's crazy in this moment is sometimes it walked away so you could walk forward. It walked away. See, Jesus gets the word that John is about to die. This isn't just pain. It's suffering. Have you ever felt so bad that if anyone or if one more thing comes your way, that you're going to break under the load? Am I the only one that's ever felt like that? I mean, one more thing. It's like you're carrying the weight of the world on your back. And you're like, God, if one more thing happens, I don't think I can handle it. I'm going to break under the load. So much has happened in such a little amount of time. God, this isn't what I'm after. Have you ever been in that moment where you're like, God, where are you? Where are you? If I've cried out to you. I've done this, God. You gave me this promise. You gave me this thing. You gave me this dream. And now I'm living like this. It hurts so bad. I can't call it pain. All I can do is call it suffering. Have you ever been there? The Bible says that Jesus, even through the suffering, this is what I want you to catch, opens up his mouth and he says, from the days of John the Baptist, this is scripture, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, but the what? The violent take it by force. What's that saying? The suffering didn't kill me. The suffering didn't take me down. The suffering didn't stop me. If anything, all the suffering did was make me violent again. Did you hear me? It made me violent. It made me violent. You can't get the fruit. You can't get the juice out of the fruit without a little bit of a squeeze, a little bit of pressure. You hear me? There's some, there's some things in our life that we can't experience until there's a little bit of squeeze in our life. And so what the enemy sent to try to kill me, what the enemy sent to try to destroy me, he actually messed up because it didn't kill me and it didn't destroy me. It just made me violent again. The kingdom of God suffers, suffers. It says the violent take it by force. The violent take it by force. Some of you in this room have been through a lot. You've been through a lot. Your situation at work, your situation at home, your situation around your life, you've been through a lot. This thing that's here right now is not going to kill you. It's not going to destroy you. Here's the challenge for you. Will you get violent again? 
There are some moments in our life where we have to rise up and say, God, I know that you placed this dream inside of me and I'm not letting go. I'm standing right here until you bless me. I love that story about Jacob where he's wrestling. He's wrestling. He's like, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. That was a violent spirit at that moment. Some of us need that spirit of Jacob to rise up again. Even if I have to walk with a limp, God, even if I have to walk with a limp, I'm going to hold on until you bless me. I'm going to hold on. You know, he wasn't trying to kill you. The situation may have been sent, whatever, to, to try to kill you, destroy you, whatever. But here's what it did. It made you violent, but it also gave you force. You know, they lied to you. They lied, they lied about you. You know what that did? That gave you force. That person cheated on you. That person broke covenant with you. Guess what that did? That gave you force. Guess what force is? Force is your testimony. Force is your voice. Force is your word. Force is what God is going to use to impart to a new generation. To see signs and wonders take place. Force is going to be used to change a nation. A culture. It's your God's story. They overcame by the what? By the blood of the Lamb. And the word of their testimony, there's something about when I begin to speak to my situation that God shows up on my behalf. See, that thing that the enemy came at me with, he didn't kill me. He just made me violent again. Could it be, church? I'm almost done. Could it be some of the things that we've been going through the last few years? I want you to hear me. Could it be that the things that we've been going through the last few years as a church, as a body, maybe it wasn't sent to kill us. Or maybe maybe not to destroy us. But to make us violent again. Will we begin to pray again? I want you to hear me. Will we begin to cry out to God again? In a passionate way, not to go to, through the routine, the, the normal, the normal status quo of what you're supposed to do in a church service. What if it was sent? What if this thing happened for this, this purpose of to make you cry out again, to push you to a place that you never would have gotten on your own, to put a little bit of squeeze so that the juice begin to flow. Wasn't sent to kill us, wasn't sent to destroy us, sent to make us violent. You see, I, I got news for the enemy today. He messed with the wrong church. He messed with the wrong culture. You know, people are giving up on the American culture. They're giving up on the church in America. I'm going to tell you right now, it's alive and well. There are moves of God that are taking place all over this nation. There are signs and wonders taking place all over this nation. And church, we need to be the leaders of this movement. There are a lot of churches that are getting away from all this stuff. And I love our pastor. One of the reasons, there's several reasons, but one of the reasons I love my pastor so much is he has stayed true to who he is called to be. He has embraced his uniqueness, just like John the Baptist. And church, we need to get on board and begin to walk that out and see God move in such a powerful way that no weapon in hell can stop what God is wanting to do in North Alabama. Who is going to get violent again? The violent take it by force. The people that are full of Jesus. The people that are full of Jesus. God, we lift you up in this place. Make us violent again. 
God, what was sent? The enemy sent it to kill us, but it didn't work. He made us violent. I want to be like Job. I need to be careful how I say that. But listen to me. I want to be like that where God, the enemy goes up and says, hey, all the people are bad. And God's like, nah, do your best to Job. He's not going to back up. He's going to stand firm. Could God say that about us? And I think he can. Because I believe that the greatest hope for this nation is not the President of the United States. is not some type of legislation. I believe the greatest hope for this planet is a church of the living God. And I'm telling you right now, it needs to be a church that's on fire, spirit-filled, that's living and breathing and sleep and just going after Jesus with everything that's inside of them. A passionate pursuit of his presence. I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you from the front to the back, side to side, every person in here to get violent again. The violent, take it by force. I want everybody to stand to your feet.